0: Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help.
1: I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics.
0: I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View, everybody. It's been a week. Or for those of you who have masochistic tendencies, maybe it's been (laughs) 10 minutes.
1: Right? Who just finished listening to the last six episodes all in a row and started on this one. My apologies. Right? (laughs) I've had a few people lately talk about... Uh, binge listening to the to the podcast. And I, I think it's wonderful that we're still like new people are finding the podcast and enjoying it and like getting caught up like that's such a huge, tremendous compliment. So to all of those people, like, thank you and welcome. But at the same time, I feel like I feel a little awkward about it because um, I I feel like our voices have. Really evolved over like five and a half years of podcasting, weirdly. I mean, what I guess- we're not the same exact people right. that we were, we aren't, and we've
0: learned things. I think and- like it would probably re- be really fascinating and give someone a different perspective on us than someone who had followed along like at the same time because that person would have been in the paleosphere at the same time and watched the whole movement evolve. But for someone who listened to it all in a row, let's say in like six months or something, you would come to know us really well, not just from listening to it, but from how we as people evolved over the last, you know, five plus years. And I think it would, be, I mean, I joke that I apologize. I mean, there are some episodes that are fantastic and there are some <laughs> episodes. There are some that, that aren't. There's we just would some delete that aren't if fine. we could, you know, yep. but, um,
1: over or, or just re edit. <laughs> yes, 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 of
0: course. But I mean, that's that's the thing about the show, right? We show up every week and sometimes it goes better than others, but we love being able to connect with everybody uh regularly and I I think it's I mean, it's kind of cool. Like imagine when your girls grow up, they can come back and listen to you and listen to that part of their of their lives. Like that's so special. I don't think they're gonna be allowed. Is for you, it's in <laughs> iTunes. <laughs>
1: um, I uh, how many? I don't. I guess I usually say nice things about them on the show, right?
0: A hundred percent of the time. Okay,
1: excellent. Yes. Then then it'll be fine. Um, and girls, if you're listening right now, we we love you. I I really love you both. Um, equally, completely. Now I'm just digging a hole. I need to stop talking. <laughs> what are we talking about this week? <laughs> yeah. okay, so we have a, um, we've got a listener question to to, to drive the, the conversation this week. And I thought this one was um, particularly interesting for this time of year because we're still in that – a range of time where people are doing paleo challenges for the new year or they're uh, you know adopting – maybe they're doing uh, the autoimmune protocol. We're about um, a little over halfway through the first session of the AIP lecture series that I'm running. And um, many of those uh, students are uh, like incrementally implementing the autoimmune protocol as they learn about it. And so it's sort of this, this time of um, – you know, recommitment, even if you've been part of the paleo movement for a while to to paleo ideals. It's a time where a lot of us clean up our diets after the holidays. We're still in that phase. And I felt like this question is a lot about the social aspect of being part of the paleo community, being committed to this lifestyle and being around people who disagree with us. And um, it, I think it resonated with me, especially because, uh, a week, week, week and a half ago I posted, um, or maybe it's coming up to two weeks, I guess, by the time the show goes live, I posted finally a post that I've been working on for months. That was a rebuttal to the, what the health documentary, which I, I don't want to rehash, but let's just say that, um, We can add this to this collection of documentaries that are promoting vegan and plant-based diets that rely on either complete lies, cherry-picked science, or incredibly – like wrong interpretations of scientific evidence to support their arguments. And then they wrap it up in a package of beautiful filmography and really compelling imagery and arguments that sound sciencey that actually aren't based in science that kind of lull you in. And those documentaries personally drive me crazy. And I know that in our community, What the Health has got some people just very riled up and angry. It has people who are new to the community second-guessing their, their choices and feeling very unsure because it's it's put together in, in such a compelling way. And so – Or and people's so I, parents calling and telling them, you're, you're going to die, yes. you need to give up meat, right? Like it's – and. And so I I finally, you know, it's it's a critique of the documentary that goes through the main arguments and provides a, a counter argument and some actual real science with, you know, references. And you can go read the original articles, right? Like it, it, it goes through. And um I in part wanted to to tackle this particular question because that article uh, when it was shared on social media, um, elicited a very uh, sort of bipolar response because my regular followers um, were super thrilled with that the scientific breakdown, right? And, and that evidence, that's what they've wanted to be able to share with their, uh, you know, vegan cousin who's been harassing them or whatever it is, or they weren't sure and they really wanted to know that information. And so I'm you know, those were the people who I was writing for uh, as well. So it was really nice to see um, that appreciation in those comments come back. But then um, clearly some <laughs> people who don't regularly follow me and don't subscribe to the same um, conclusions based on scientific evidence that I do, um, who – Uh, are firm believers in the messaging of this collection of documentaries and were very passionate um, about their particular set of beliefs, wrote very, very many very, very, very argumentative, rude, combative, downright trollish comments. And so, I mean, I am a firm believer in the First Amendment. I do not delete... um, comments or on on social media unless they are uh completely, you know, abusive and vulgar or if they're, you know, absolutely cyberbullying. So I I let, you know, people are entitled to their opinion, but it really sort of forced this like question of how how do you respond to vegans or people who follow a plant-based diet, or vegetarians for um, ethical reasons, who who really disagree with fundamental principles of paleo, and um, when this question came in from Monique, it just it, it hit that that it just resonated I just was like yes I feel you monique I think we should get stacy to talk about this is that's what I felt I really- <laughs> Stacy <Stacey laughs> needs to talk about this is um I'm just I'm deferring to the pro as a reformed vegan right reformed vegetarian with a brief vegetarian vegan brother yes right, there you go okay i Um, Let me read Monique's question, um, just to to provide a a finer tooth comb on on this discussion. Um, But I, since you're a person who has these conversations, I think more frequently in your day to day life, I, I get a lot of questions that are like, I have autoimmune disease. Can I do the AIP as a vegetarian? And we can we can get there um, if we need to in this podcast. But it's sort of for me that's always a technical question, right? That question is, well, here's the nutrients that you need to get from animal foods, and here's the pescatarian way that you can implement the AIP, which is super super uh, you know healing and nutrient dense. And can we meet halfway? Like, but that's a different type of question than I. Th- I think this question is so centered on, you know, like comments that I was seeing is like, there's no such thing as ethically raised meat. And I just don't know how you engage in a respectful conversation when it starts with that unequivocal statement of we will never agree. So I kind of wanted to, I just, I really wanted, I, I, I want your advice and so does Monique. So this is, this is Stacey Hour right now. Um, so let me read this uh, this question. So Monique writes, Hi, Stacey and Sarah. Thanks for your amazing work and promoting health and wellness. I am not new to paleo and have been a fan of you both for a while, but only recently started listening to your podcasts on my daily walks. So my question is this. How do you approach vegetarians, vegans, or pro-plant-based people in a social setting who talk smack about the paleo diet and claim that meat eaters are unhealthy, sluggish, ignorant, selfish, etc. I usually either get mad and start showing off about how they overload on grains and don't actually eat a lot of vegetables compared to paleo, say nothing, or talk about how a diet based in vegetables, fruits, and animal protein has drastically changed my life for the better. I don't necessarily have a problem with vegetarianism, veganism. I have a couple of meatless meals per week, but it's not a lifestyle that's sustainable and healthiest for me full-time. A paleo template is what is your way of approaching these situations?
0: So first of all, let me just state the obvious here, which is if someone comes at you aggressive and troll-like and rude, I treat them the way I treat anybody who approaches me that way. I don't engage, because if you engage, it's just going to go down a negative path, right? So I have definitely had conversations, both online and in person, with people who feel extremely passionately about their own opinion, who I can tell are not wanting to have an open intellectual discussion based on science or conversation or whatever. And in that case, it's just not worth the time and energy to engage. So there have been a number of instances, and most recently in uh, the local holistic mom group that I talk about sometimes where um I had to explain that a, a protein powder based off of a carbohydrate does not in fact a protein powder make <laughs> but she felt very strongly that that's was working for her and I said okay Well, we're just going to agree to disagree, right? Because it was, I wasn't changing anybody's mind. I wasn't helping anybody. It wasn't adding value or joy to my life. It wasn't helping her life. And therefore, it's just not, there's plenty of other things I can focus my energy on. And honestly, it has taken me years to be able to do that because I could say just walk away, but then I would like brood and think about it and I'd reopen emails and I'd, you know, like get myself all whipped up. And I did have to learn how to let go and walk away. And I, I think it's, that's a difficult thing to figure out if someone is actually, actually interested in having an intellectual conversation or not. So first and foremost, before we even do that, I think that's point number 1, right? Point number 2 is it's understanding where someone is coming from and how we're going to respond because there are people who are vegetarian or vegan for religious and moral purposes. And if someone's religion is a prerequisite for the way that they are going to go about their diet, Unless you're having a religious conversation with them, it's, in my opinion, not appropriate to try to change their mind because that's a choice that they've made in a different component of their life. So we can talk about how the challenges that they might face with a diet like that and what we would recommend or alternatives or, you know, would their diet allow for X, Y, and Z. But I think trying to tell someone, Well, this thing that you feel passionately about is um, not, not right. I just, I feel like that's not helpful. Where I do think that we can have helpful, progressive discussions, and Sarah is probably referring to these sort of discussions that she's seen me had when we've had a book tour together, different kind of things, is when we're talking about ethics or when we're talking about health choices, that's where we can have an intellectual discussion about what the true ethics are and what the true health choices are, and where are the scientific resources, and what kind of different decisions go into making them and and how that impact can come about. So I think really, like any debate, you need to understand the other person's end game or the other person's position when you go into how you approach something because it will inform ultimately the decision on on how to, um, discuss it with them. So for me, I was a vegetarian, as I mentioned, for seven years, mostly because I lived with my mom and my mom was a vegetarian. And when I went off to college, shortly thereafter, I met Matt and Matt was a carnivore, um, which (laughs) was just as unhealthy as the soy laden morning star diet that I was eating. And um, the two of us had to find a middle ground, right? And I literally remember, it was like our first or second date watching him eat a rare burger and the juice like ran down the palm of his hand. I vividly remember it. And I remember thinking to myself, I never want to see this person again. Like, I just was like, <laughs> it was so disgusting. We talk about it all the time. Um, and I think if I had not called him out and said, and, and that's what I did, right? As a vegetarian, I look, I I totally looked upon him with disgust as he ate his giant um Rare burger, and I just was like, I don't know how you can do that. And we started to have a conversation, and I think that's what's important, right? Like, I didn't just go about it with disgust and say, I'm never gonna like hang out with you again. I we started a conversation, and ultimately, clearly, we um, are intellectual-based, science-minded people and have both come to a different conclusion. He now eats fish and vegetables <laughs> and I now consume meat. So what informed that for me? Well, um, what the reason that we wrote Beyond Bacon was because it matters so much to me that animals are con- are treated ethically and sustainably. And I think that's one of the really important points that we – As paleo can have with vegans and vegetarians, is that we too care very much about the earth and about the lives of those animals that we are consuming. And that while we believe that this is the most um, healthy choice that we can make, and there are a variety of nutrients that we can only get from animal products, that we want to do so in a way that is benefiting the earth and kind to the animals. And so Participating in meat co ops, which we've talked about before, buying direct from farmers, or even just buying local from butcher shops that you know and trust. Um, these are all things that you can do to feel good about the choice that you're making. And while Sarah and I have both said many times that none of these things are necessary to be paleo. When you're talking about making a difference in the world or being the change that you want to see, this is one of the things that really is important to me because the reason that I stopped eating, um, meat to begin with, and I, I think I've mentioned before, I even like did a debate topic in high school on RBGH, which at the time nobody even knew what it was. Um. And there there are different things like that that really just bothered me as I was, you know, young and I was forming opinions on things. And so to me, I don't feel comfortable, like I won't eat veal unless it's grass-fed, humanely raised veal. I won't eat duck unless it's grass-fed or, you know, free-range, humanely raised. I won't eat foie gras unless it was... Free range, which is very difficult to find, there are some foods that are uh, particularly sensitive to me that I know the conditions that those animals would have been raised in if um, the meat is conventional and and I just won't eat it and so you know one of the conversations that I have with people who are vegan or vegetarian for ethical purposes is talking about how difficult on the earth being a vegan or vegetarian is because of how difficult it is to grow the corn and the soy, not just how difficult it is in the body to digest and process, but it's also difficult on the earth because we can't reuse that land. And it actually causes greater number of losses in animal life when all of the vegetation is processed um, from the different rodents and different things like that. Than if that were a free range cow field, and there are different numbers that are done, different studies, um, guesstimates, so to speak, right? Like, nobody is precisely gone about it. And I think, you know, ultimately, whatever you want to believe, it, teetering one way or the other, neither is perfect, neither is going to cause, um, n- no death or destruction, like, that's the, it just does not exist. And so, the question is well then if if we know that the action is going to cause death wh- which can we affect what what can what impact can be the greatest and for me, knowing that i 'm supporting a farmer that believes in the ethical treatment of animals that cares about them from the moment they 're born and carries them through um, adulthood to ensure that they have a happy life in sunlight and fresh air and eating the food that they 're supposed to eat and being with the family that was who they were born by. To me, that's how I would want to treat animals if I were raising them. And that is definitely how I, the, the farmers are who I want to support when I, um, if I'm going to consume them. It also happens to be that it's a lot healthier for you as well, <laughs> um, which we've talked about separately. And I think. You know, it's it's interesting when I present that argument to people, especially who are vegetarians for ethical reasons, and I say to them, um, and let's say they uh, – especially if they only consume chicken or fish, and, and I say, okay, how many meals do you get out of that chicken? And at the most, mo- people get two to three meals out of a chicken. I mean, my family consumes a chicken and a half because I have – Many boys have I talked about <laughs> many boys. Um, you, have, you have talked about all the boys. All the boys. Um, so to me, if I have chicken on my on my table, I take two lives for one meal and I'll get leftovers out of it. So maybe two meals, right? But not two full meals, just two meals and then we'll make broth with the carcass. But that's, again, not a full meal. Um, if, however, I take the life of a large animal such as a cow or a pig – My family could eat off of the meat of a cow for probably a whole year. I mean, we do partial. I can't, we've never (laughs) got a whole cow before. I can't imagine how big that freezer would be. But we've done, you know, quarter cows and different things like that. And we share it among friends. And that one life. The one life that we take lasts so much longer and is so nourishing. It's high in omega-3s. It had a healthy life living in sunlight and grass fields. And I was able to support a local farmer. And, you know, I can go on and on and on to someone. And it's, it's interesting to see their brain kind of realize, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like I think of you know, beef as being this horrible thing that's, you know, slandered in the vegan and vegetarian community. But when you think about the, like the health factors of chicken and beef, it's clear now, it wasn't clear 10 years ago, but it's clear now that we know that beef adds good nutrient value to our lives and that it has a higher omega-3 ratio. It has different conjugate. Con- Conjugated
1: linoleic acid. That's
0: the one. And it, there's a variety of things that it does from a health perspective, but even more so, my family chooses to eat larger animals because I feel that it has a better social and ethical impact. And it happens to also be more delicious in my personal opinion. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, you know, that's, again, one of those informed decisions, right? Like you have to know what kind of conversation are you having with whom and and on what basis. And you know then we can talk a little bit about the you know the other side of that coin which is the science minded, the health minded which is a little bit of what you talked about. And that's mm. there's more of uh well my data says this and well my data says that. And so for me most of the people that I meet are have this belief from an ethical perspective. And so it's easier for me to talk about it because I I've been through it. I know what I believe and and how I'm able to sleep at night. Um, And I have no doubt about the choices that my family is making because of how much care and thought we put into um, the lives that we're affecting with our food sources.
1: Um, Yeah, I think – but there was a couple of things that um, I didn't want to interrupt you because that was just like so amazing. but a couple of things you that I wanted me to just show box. I, I know like I and you did And time. it was amazing and I am so pleased that you you did that. So thank you. Um, but one of the things I wanted to sort of add to the idea of um, uh, respecting life and uh, one of the things that I talk to my kids about because I've taken them to farms where they've met, you know the animals that we're going to eat, and I've taken I've taken them to vegetable farms as well, and I've I've tried to really instill a connection with our personal food supply in my kids, and you know especially taking them to animal farms like that that leads to some really deep conversations about the importance of um, making sure that those animals have good lives and that they're healthy. Um, And then part of respecting the life that they give for our nourishment is eating, like not wasting anything. So eating snout to tail and not throwing anything away and eating every part of the animal that's edible. And that just so happens to be also really important nutritionally. But I think it's one of the the – Pieces that can get so easily missed because we're still so used to eating steak and hamburger, and we sort of forget about. I mean, even like liver, kidney, and heart are pretty easy to get, but you, it's not unless you really get the full. I want the half cow, including the half, you know, uh, offal from that from that cow that I'm getting from the farmer, and I'm going to get sweetbreads and spleen and um, chitlings and right. Like, there's all of these other uh organ meat things that even even when buying from a farmer is sometimes really hard to get they're still even thrown out or they're i mean hopefully they're sometimes at least turned into dog food or something like that but um but the idea of you know really investing in eating every part of the animal that is edible and using the other parts in whatever ways we can so like I know that um you know the the farm that i took my kids to they turn the hides into leather like they actually um you know cuz they raise buffalo this is um carol farms which is where uh buffalo gal um it comes, is like that's her farm so her um, buffalo tallow-based skin products are from those buffalo. They're other local to me in Atlanta, and um, they they use everything. So everything, everything, everything. So the hides are their hides are used. The um, skulls and the and the horns are are dried and and people buy them for for decorations. But like ev- everything, everything gets. Used and they're also put a ton of care into uh, regenerative, sustainable farming practices and um, this just super strong connection with uh, the environment, with the land, with the with the animals. It's it's really a phenomenal experience to to be at her farm and and other farms around me um, are are similar in terms of their commitment. So I think that was just a little like I wanted to kind of add that that piece to the respecting life uh, conversation. The other thing that I often, because I often have these conversations from a much more technical perspective. And so I'll often sort of simplify it as, Um, Well, look, there's a ton of nutrients that we get from vegetables and fruit, from plant foods that we just can't get from animal foods. But there's also nutrients that our bodies need that we get from animal foods that we cannot get from plant foods. And the paleo diet, in my opinion, I I think of it as a plant-based diet because two-thirds to three-quarters of every plate is covered in plant foods. And then there's a modest serving of a high-quality You know, hopefully, uh, ethically sourced animal food on that plate as well, whether that's meat or seafood. Um, But it is a very plant-focused diet, which you know we've talked about. What two weeks ago on the show, the importance of eating a lot of vegetables. Um, That is, you know, the thing that makes paleo a a a plant-focused diet. It's more servings of animal foods per week than the trademarked plant-based diet, but. Um, if you were to describe paleo, when you describe a plate that is three quarters vegetables, it's really hard to describe that as a meat centric diet. Um, so I, I you know I really say it's like you know the the one of the main tenets of the paleo diet is nutrient sufficiency it, It's getting enough. Of all of the nutrients that our bodies need, essential and non-essential, all the nutrients that we need for optimal health—not just the nutrients to stay alive, but the nutrients we need to be optimally healthy—and that just requires eating animal foods and plant foods. And you can do this, you know, as I've already mentioned, in a pescatarian way, where we're eating fish and shellfish, and that makes for you know an, an interesting middle ground for a lot of people. But you know, at the end of the day. There's nutrients that we get from animal foods that that are essential for health. And if you, you know, I've actually done a, a series of articles on the website that looks at a lot of the. We actually see it from both sides. So, I was in a, a an expert panel once where one of the guys was talking about how we didn't need to eat plant foods at all because we're actually designed to be carnivores. And I was like. What just happened? I was like shocked because i I had been so until that point insulated from that part of the paleo movement who thinks that all oh, we just need to eat all the meat and preferably raw like that was not um that was that was those were not the people I had met yet at that point um but there is that sort of group that's like humans are carnivores, and we 're just supposed to eat just meat and tons of fat and then there's the the you know vegan plant-based diet people who you know really firmly believe that all we were herbivores and were designed to be herbivores and no matter how you look at the evidence whether you look at it biologically physiologically um epidemiologically span or anthropologically um, if you look at comparative biology, we're absolutely omnivores. If you look at our nutrient needs, we're omnivores. If you look at our teeth, if you look at our digestive tracts, um, if you look at hunter gatherers, if you right, we're we're for sure, for sure, for sure, omnivores. There's no example of a vegan hunter gatherer society out there. Um, and if you look at our nutrient needs, we need both animal foods and and plant foods. Um, but that being said, you know we can eat a very plant-centered diet, and actually that's a that's a better choice for us. So, part of when I have these conversations, part of it is, is really shifting the conversation towards the nutrient needs of the human body, um, and and also part of it is busting that myth of of paleo as being. A, an all meat diet, despite the fact of there are some people who who implement it that way, but um, the the actual ideas behind Paleo don't support that. We are definitely not carnivores, just like we're definitely not herbivores. So those are those are sort of the um, the much more technical ar- conversations that I end up in. Um, but that's I think um, just the types of situations that I that I find myself in. But those are also the conversations I'm more comfortable with. I I have to say that um, if I find myself in a conversation that is um, much more emotional and opinion-based and um, closed to uh, additional informations that might inform changes of opinion, um, those, I mean – to be frank those are conversations that i just you know agree to disagree and walk away i mean those are those are things i i really have a hard time i i'd like you said at the top of the the um soapbox you know don't engage um those are conversations i just tried to exit as quickly as possible
0: yeah i mean someone who is going to tell you um that a meat eater is sluggish, ignorant, selfish. Like those are really judgmental, cruel words. And if a conversation is starting out that way, it's not going to go well from there. So I just think that um, it's really about the approach. And I, I do think that um, one of the things that I was able to have a conversation with someone recently who was talking about, going vegan for New Year's. And I said, well, what is it that is making you want to go vegan? And they said it was um, from an ethical perspective and not necessarily from a health perspective. And we joked that um, my brother, who I adore, um, we call him a Twinkie vegan because he will 100% own eating cookie crisp and Mountain Dew for breakfast. Like he does not eat vegan for health reasons. He is very, very vegan for ethical reasons. And so I explained to this person that was not quite on my brother's steadfast path um, that there are a lot of different ways to go about changing the ethics of dietary lifestyle and that, um, something could be a potential middle ground for them, like only consuming, um, grass fed, grass fed and free range and doing a majority of their protein with a pescatarian approach. Um, and the person was like, you know, I I think that could work for me. And it, it was because the conversation started with, well, what what is the importance for you and listening to what they were saying and then trying to come up with a solution for them. And I think that's really genuinely if you're trying to – if the question is about social situations and having conversations with people, it has to be a genuine two-way street where you're willing to listen to what the person is looking for and what they care about. And then there has to be a genuine solution that's being presented because if the answer is to that person or if what they hear is, well, you're wrong, paleo is the way to do it. And if you do anything less than you're wrong, well, we might believe that. I don't know that any of us started that on day one of paleo, right? Like you get in the danger of believing so much in what you believe that you're kind of throwing up (laughs) on another person about (laughs) how much you love it instead of pacing and and thinking about the perspective of, well, what – how would I have wanted someone to explain it to me? Or how, how would I have been perceptive to someone presenting it to me? And I think it's just, it's really important for any, like I said, any debate that you're having with anybody to, to be considerate to what it is there, where they're coming from. And you have to have compassion and understanding and talking to each other. And it's really refreshing when you're talking to a grown up who is willing to have a conversation about that stuff. Like, no, I, t- I totally got wanting to make a, Better ethical decisions. I myself made a similar decision, but it had a different result. But here are the things that I found when I was researching and that person then being open to listening to it rather than, well, I think that's crazy. And, you know, just assuming that they're going to um, love Morningstar and Cookie Crisp. (laughs)
1: I kind of, kind of like a couple of
0: brand names <laughs> under the bus. I'm waiting for a cease
1: and desist letter. <laughs> I mean, I think the only thing you said was that they were vegan. I think that was that was there was maybe some implications that there was no nutritive value. But <laughs> okay, I just sealed the deal <laughs> of the cease and desist letters. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I hope that this um, not just helps Monique um, find a better balance when she finds herself in those types of uh, social situations and conversations. But I know this is a challenge that we all face. I mean, I think one of the things that I I sort of want to end on is emphasizing the similarities between uh, vegans and uh, the paleo community, because we are both communities that care very deeply about the environment, about sustainability. Um, we are both communities that care very deeply about health. Um, we certainly uh, read the science differently. Let me let me say it diplomatically. Um, and we come, you know, as Stacey, you just said, I think uh, very eloquently, we, we come to different conclusions as we evaluate the best way to proceed to respect the environment and to respect life on Earth. Um, But at the same time, you know, those are priorities that are really in common between our two communities. And I think that um, whenever we can focus on our similarities as as just people in the world, um, I think that's where suddenly we can have really productive conversations and where we can work together and we can get good things done. So I kind of wanted to to end on the note of, you know, as as challenging and sometimes frustrating as these conversations can be, as, as much as they can stir emotions in us that are, you know, feeling uh, defensive and uh, indignant, you know, at the end of the day, we are, talking about two sides of the same issue and what we're talking about is is the best way to preserve the earth and respect life and also um, promote human health. And we just have different perspectives on the best way to, to go about that. So thinking about us as having very similar priorities in life, I think is a, it's a good place to start too.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, if it weren't for bacon, Wesley would be a fruitarian. So... It's, it's really like a marginal difference between us.
1: <laughs> uh, Bacon's the main difference, pretty much, is what you're saying.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Now, did I ever tell you this is, the, well, this will be our anecdotal story to leave off on. So Wesley was in preschool and there was another boy that had um, a lot of food restrictions as Wesley did. And so they hung out together and his food restrictions were because he was vegan. And so Wesley came home one day and he said, I'm going to be vegan like my friend. And so we were having breakfast for dinner that night and we said, okay. And we put out the dinner and there were eggs in the pancakes and there were eggs and there was bacon and there was nothing that was vegan on the table. And so I said to Wesley, what are you going to have for dinner? And he's like, well, I'm going to have this bacon. I said, nope, this bacon is not vegan. This bacon is made out of pig. He goes, what? No bacon? I'm not vegan. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a gateway food for so many. It really is. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Like Sarah said, I hope that we have been helpful and I genuinely, genuinely mean no no res- disrespect at all to any dietary choices that anyone makes. Like I said, I myself made different choices for a long time and have loved ones who are still either vegan or vegetarian for a variety of reasons. And while it's not the choices I make, I do respect um, the choices that, for example, my brother makes and why he makes them. And we joke, uh, of course, he he jokes on us just as much as I joke on him about his cookie crisp and Mountain Dews. <laughs> but um, ultimately, we love each other. And I think that's really where this comes down to is having compassion and understanding. So please, if someone is being rude or cruel or judgmental in your life, try to find the strength to walk away and leave it alone, because it's just not going to add any value. And hopefully we have added value this week. And if you feel like we have, we would love your support through sharing this podcast with friends and family, or leaving a review in iTunes so that others can find it. Of course, you can also share our blog post, um, recap links, and supporting our blogs by shopping um, through them. Any links that you find is so greatly appreciated. And we sincerely appreciate you tuning in again this week, whether it was your first or one of many in a row. Um, We're always (laughs) thankful that you're here. Thanks for listening. We'll be
1: back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites, or by donating through PayPal. Hello. Hola, ¿cómo está? I have no idea if that pronunciation was good or not.
0: Uh, no habla español, but I can oh. get Finn on the line for you if you'd like.
1: Excellent. I should have gone with French. Silly me.
0: <laughs> I'm surprised you don't know French.
1: You do know French. I'm completely bilingual.
0: Oh, you should have. I was going to say, okay, yes. I should. should, Yeah, I should have gone with French, because I could have
1: been like, bonjour, comment, ça va? And I still would have not known anything, even though... Yeah, but at people. least I would know that my pronunciation was good, right? <laughs> to see how it's like, it's different, because I don't know what I'm doing when I try to... I have like 20 Spanish words, right? And it's like... I remember when you were reading an audiobook in French... Um I was listening to it Could you, if you do you read audiobooks I guess I don't I guess I, you, yeah you that's a weird to them that's sure kind of a that strange uh, Anyways yeah I was literally doing it to sort of like brush my French back up again and then I um finished it and then I haven't been able to find cuz what works really well is to listen to a book that I've read in English and really enjoyed and then listen to the French translation And I haven't been able to find a good, like, translation of, like, another series. Like, I listened to the Hunger Games series in French. And I haven't been able to find another good series to to do that with. But I I should do. I should should try to figure out how to get more French into my life more regularly. You know
0: how I feel about that word. You could if you wanted to make the choice.
1: I (laughs) should... For, to do that for, for myself. one hour
0: every week you have to stop using the sh word <laughs> alright
1: now I, now you know what's going to happen is you're going to tap into the brat Sarah and the brat Sarah is going to use should like 300 times in the next <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I just, I'm, I'm going to shove brat Sarah to the side and not let brat Sarah come out because we don't need brat Sarah today
0: seeking the truth never gets old